morning of February the 11th was very cold, as Bernadette, her sister Toinette, and a friend, Jeanne Abadie, better known as Balloon, left the cashier to go and find sticks for firewood. The girls, dressed very much alike in peasant-style dresses and aprons, wore shawls around their shoulders, and their hair was covered with brightly patterned kerchiefs. Bernadette, for extra warmth, wore a white hooded cape. They walked down the Rue de Petitfosse, past the old chateau fort, and made for the woods. Crossing the Roman bridge, they followed the river Gave until they came to the Ribere Meadow. Here was an old rock, Massabielle, and although the girls had no liking for the area, they had been told that they would find good burning matter there, and also washed up in a cavern formed by the rocks, bones, which would fetch enough money to buy the whole Subaru family a meal. To reach the cavern, however, meant wading through the shallow Savi mill stream which joined the Gave. Bernadette, because of her asthmatic condition, lagged behind. By the time she reached them, Toinette and Baloum had already taken off their sabots and stockings and thrown them to the other side of the stream. Bernadette called after them, Wait, wait for me. The girls paid no heed as they stepped gingerly through the water, but Baloum shivered and cried out, Oh, it's so cold! Toinette screeched, Oh dear, it's freezing! Bernadette stood hesitating. Toinette, throw some big stones in the stream. Then I won't have to get my feet wet. You jolly well do the same as we had to, said Baloum. Now on the other side, the two girls dried their feet on their petticoats, quickly replaced their stockings and sabots, and then ran off together, laughing. Bernadette, left by herself, thought for a moment, then kicked off her sabots and began removing her stockings. Hardly was the first one off when there was a murmur, followed by the sound of rushing wind. She looked around, but all was still, not a movement from the trees. Removing the other stocking, she was about to step into the water when the noise came again, just as if a storm were brewing. She looked all around again, and then towards the cave. Branches of a wild rose bush growing beneath an oval niche in the rock were shaking violently, and the niche itself was ringed with light. Inside stood a young lady. I must be dreaming, Bernadette rubbed her eyes. No, the, the lady's really there. Feeling frightened, Bernadette dropped to her knees, automatically pulled her rosary beads from her pocket, and went to make the sign of the cross. But for some reason, her arms felt heavy, and she couldn't. Then the lady made the sign of the cross, and Bernadette was able to do so, and she began to say the rosary. At this point, the two girls, laden with sticks, made their way to the cavern. Well, just look at her, kneeling there saying her prayers while we do all the work, said an angry balloon. Bernadette! Bernadette! said Toinette urgently. Receiving no reply, they picked up some pebbles and threw them towards the kneeling figure. Some hit her shoulder, but Bernadette remained motionless. Do you think she's dead? whispered Toinette. She's so white. Don't be stupid, said Balloon. She'd be lying down if she was. At this moment, Bernadette stood up, picked up her belongings, crossed the stream, and joined the girls. Why... It's as warm as dishwater, she said as she stepped out of the stream. Quickly replacing stockings and sabots, she gathered up a bundle of sticks and ran gaily on ahead. She didn't return by way of the meadow, but followed a steep winding track up the side of Massabielle. Toinette and Baloum looked at each other in amazement. Bernadette, Toinette called. 
They caught up with her. What happened to you? Toinette said. What made you say the rosary there? Bernadette smiled. It's good to pray anywhere. Balloon wasn't satisfied. Yes, but why there? Bernadette continued walking. Did you see anything? She asked the other two. No, we saw nothing. Not in the grotto. A little lady. Her companions shook their heads in bewilderment. Oh, she was so beautiful. She had a long white dress with a white veil over her head. She had a lovely white rosary in her hands. There was gold chain between the beads. Oh, her feet! On each foot, there was a golden rose. While I said the prayers, she ran the beads through her fingers, but her lips didn't move. But when I said the Gloria, she joined in. As soon as I'd finished the rosary, she disappeared. Oh, I do hope she comes back again. At the end of this disclosure, all three, busy with their own thoughts, remained silent until they'd reached the cachot. Then Bernadette said imploringly, "Balloon, Toinette, please promise you won't tell anyone about the lovely little lady." Balloon was already running off to her own home. Bernadette raised her voice, "Balloon, promise." Then, taking her sister's arms, they went through the heavy door, and you, Toinette. But this proved too difficult for Toinette. And that evening she told her mother, although for her trouble she received a spanking, and Bernadette was forbidden ever to go to Massabiel again. It wasn't as simple as that, however, for on Sunday the fourteenth, Bernadette told some of her friends sadly, "I feel that I must go to Massabiel, but Mamma and Papa have forbidden me." The girls weren't prepared to let a little thing like that stop some excitement, and they wasted no time in seeking out Francois and Louise Subaru. And pestered them until they wearily gave in. After filling a small flask with holy water from church, Bernadette and half a dozen of her friends were off in a flash, over the top of Massabiel, down the rough zigzag track which a few days before Bernadette had so nimbly climbed. Now she ran down it at an amazing speed. By the time her companions reached the bottom, she was already on her knees. They looked at their friend. They looked at each other. Then, shrugging their shoulders, they too knelt on the pebbly ground and joined her in the rosary. Within a few minutes, Bernadette stopped praying and softly said, "She's here, she's here." One of her friends pushed the flask into her hands. "Go on, sprinkle the holy water. It might be the devil." Bernadette rose slowly to her feet, took a few paces forward, and threw some of the holy water towards the niche and commanded, "If you are the devil." Go. If you come from God, stay. Bernadette's anxious face lit up. Oh, please stay. Returning to her place, she handed back the flask, sank to her knees, and then gazed at the niche. Look, Toinette said. Look at her face. It's like wax. Balloon took this up. Her eyes. Look at her eyes. And the other girls chorused, "She's dead." No, she's not. Toinette quieted them. But she must be ill. That's how she looked last time. Quick, qu- quickly, go and get our mamma. Too frightened to argue, Balloon ran to the cashier, while another went to the nearby Savy Mill for help. Antoine Nicolo, the miller, was first on the scene, and lifting the slight figure in his strong arms, and with the rest of the girls in tow, he carried her back to his house. When he put her down, she regained consciousness, and the colour flowed back into her cheeks. Everyone assembled in the kitchen. 
A few minutes later, a disheveled balloon led Bernadette's distraught mother through the door. They were followed by the dignified figure of Madame Millet, a wealthy lady for whom Louise Subaru worked. When she saw her daughter safe and sound, and looking well into the bargain, her anger got the better of her, and taking the girl by the shoulders, she shook her violently. Madame Millet intervened. Stop it, Louise. Stop it at once. I, I don't think your girl's making this up. And what's more, next time she wants to go to Massabiel, I'll go with her. And so she did, and her dressmaker friend went too. It was on Thursday, February the 18th, and Bernadette knelt in the cavern between the two adults. One held a lighted candle, the other writing equipment. The rosary beads slipped one by one through Bernadette's fingers. Suddenly, she was still. She's here. Pen and paper were thrust into Bernadette's hands, and she was urged to go and ask the lady her name and what she wanted. She did, but the paper remained blank. The women stared at the niche and saw nothing. On the way home, Bernadette explained, and not knowing what to call the apparition, used the word akero, meaning the thing. When I walked towards her, akero went further back into the niche, and then she was standing on the ground right in front of me. I asked her to write down those things you wanted to know, but she only smiled. And then she said to me, What I have to say need not be put down in writing. Will you do me the favor of coming here each day for the next two weeks? The favor? Madame Mia exclaimed. What did you say? Oh, I said yes. After I've asked permission of my parents, that is. And then she said, I do not promise to make you happy in this world, but in the next. Naturally enough, when Louise heard about this latest episode, she was simply furious. You're not to go near that place again, do you hear me? It's bad enough being the poorest family in Lua without you adding to the misery. People are saying you're crazy. But, Mama, I must go. I promised to Caro. Louise threw up her hands in resignation, which Bernadette took as a scent. Sunday the 21st turned out to be a long and tiring day for the young girl. Accompanied by her aunts, Basile and Bernard, she set off earlier than usual to keep her appointment. It went without incident, and although jostled and questioned by many present, she said nothing. Whatever went on between her and her lady remained a secret. But the day was only just beginning for Bernadette. When she reached the cashier, Louise sent her daughter straight out again. Abbe Penn, one of the curates, wanted to speak to her. After lunch, as was customary, the family went to Vespers. But today there was something more. When the congregation came out of church, Monsieur Jacomet, the chief of police, immaculate in his well-fitting uniform, barred the way. He was very much the imposing figure he looked. Taking no notice of anyone else, he accosted Bernadette. "'Will you kindly step along to my office? I won't keep you long.' Ignoring the shouts of abuse that followed him, he marched Bernadette along the street and ushered her into his office. Sitting down at a huge brown desk, he idly leafed through some letters. After what he considered a suitable time, he took a piece of official paper and, with pen poised, asked, "'What's your name?' "'Bernadette Subaru, monsieur.' "'How old are you?' Fourteen, going on fifteen. What? And you're still at school in the infant's class? Ah, uh, right. I want every detail about this business at Massabiel, and uh, mind, no lies, because I'm writing it all down. 
Well, monsieur, a lady comes to see me. What lady? How old is she? I, I don't know, but she's a very beautiful lady, about seventeen or eighteen, I suppose. Is she a lady from Lourd? Oh no, monsieur, more beautiful than any lady I've ever seen in Lourd. How can that be? There are plenty of lovely ladies in Lourd. <clears throat> anyway, go on. What did the lady wear? She had a a long white dress with a blue sash that came down to the bottom. There was a white veil over her head. And this lady, does she stand still? Oh no, she moves gracefully. Her arms, her body, her head, and she smiles. And she speaks to you. How is it that you hear her and others don't? Then, touching her heart, Bernadette answered, "It's in here she speaks." Ah,、uh, she gives you messages. What are they? Well, some of them I tell people, but but the others are for me alone. Oh, come on now, repeat them to me. I want to know every one. I'm sorry, Monsieur, I, I can't tell the secret ones. I will not disobey the lady. Jacobus slammed his fist down on the desk. Tell me, or I'll send you straight to prison. Bernadette smiled. Be sure the bars are strong, Monsieur. Otherwise, I might escape. Jacquemet's face turned purple. All right, I'll read back your statement. Then you must sign it. This lady of yours is about twenty、um, to twenty-two years old. No, Monsieur. I told you she is about seventeen or eighteen.、Mm. She wears a blue dress and a white sash. No, 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 Monsieur. I did not say that. Her dress is white and the sash blue. You said white. No blue.、Um, the lady stands still like a statue in church. Monsieur, Monsieur, you have not written down what I said. By this time, Jacquemet had had enough. He dismissed Bernadette and told her not to go to Massabiel again. Defying his orders, Bernadette went to the grotto the next day, but to her dismay. The lady did not put in an appearance. Bernadette was not disappointed on February the twenty-third, and neither were the hundred or more onlookers when, at six a.m., she arrived at the grotto with her aunt Bernard. Bernadette knelt for about an hour, and during this time she smiled, bowed, and from time to time made the beautiful sign of the cross for which she was renowned. As before, when it was all over, she returned home thoughtful and quiet. The following day, those present at the grotto were in the region of two hundred. They watched spellbound. Many were overcome by the beauty of her entranced face. And then, without warning, she began to cry. This time, she did not ignore those who questioned her. With tears streaming down her face, she told them, "The lady said, 'Penance, penance, penance. Pray for sinners.'" Jacquemet was now really put out by the increasing numbers going to Massabiel, so he summoned the entire constabulary of Lourdes, hoping to frighten the followers of Bernadette Soubirous away. But he reckoned without the hundreds present on this Thursday. Silently, they stood in a large semicircle round the grotto. The object of their attention was in her usual position, but today she surprised them all by suddenly moving along on her knees over the pebbly ground. She went towards the Savy Mill stream, hesitated, changed direction, and made for the Garve. Then she stopped, unsure of what to do next. 
stared up at the niche, and still on her knees, shuffled back towards the cavern. After looking all around it, she went to a corner and began scratching the ground like an animal, and then she seemed to vomit. When she turned towards the people, her face was covered with mud. Bernadette later explained to her family and friends. This time, the lady was very solemn. She told me to go and drink at the spring, and wash there. Well, I, I didn't really know what she meant. You see, she speaks to me in our own dialect, and so I thought she might have confused spring with brook. So that's why I went to the river. But she called me back. No, not the garb, please. So I looked towards her, and she repeated what I was to do. Pointed to a corner of the cave and added, and eat some of the plants. So that's why I was digging in the corner. There was a drop of muddy water, and that's what I drank and washed my face with. I also ate some blades of grass, like she said. That made me sick. The crowds, feeling that they'd been duped, quickly dispersed. Not one of them noticed the thin trickle of water welling its way up through the muddy patch where Bernadette had been digging. next day, Bernadette went to the grotto as usual, but the lady did not come. The day after this, she did, and the crowds were there again in full force. After the ecstasy, she told the people, The lady told me to kiss the ground as an act of penance for sinners. Three days later, with her aunts Basile and Bernard either side of her, Bernadette made for the presbytery. There in his rose garden, and with his breviary in his hand sat the parish priest, Abbe Perimal. What do you want? Who are you? Bernadette. Bernadette Subaru. Well, what do you want? The lady. What lady? The lady who visits me at Massabiel. You mean uh, a lady from Lourdes? No, I don't know who she is, but she's not from Lourdes. What's her name? I don't know. She never told me. She said to tell you she wants people to come in procession. What? Before he could say anything else, Bernadette bobbed a curtsy, and with her two aunts, left with some speed. The trio had not gone very far when Bernadette stopped. Oh, my goodness! I didn't give him all the message. It wasn't until evening that Bernadette plucked up the courage to return. This time it was even harder. The curates were with the abbey. Nevertheless, she spoke out clearly. Uh, Monsieur le Curé, I forgot to tell you, the lady said she wants a chapel built. The good abbe's face turned scarlet. Do you have the money for this chapel? You tell your lady if she wants a chapel, she better give you the money. Bernadette curtsied and was about to leave. His voice stopped her. Uh, wait. Uh, you tell this lady of yours I want a sign. Um, tell her to make the wild rose bloom in the cavern, and find out the name of your precious lady. The lady had asked Bernadette to come every day for two weeks. Those two weeks were up, and Bernadette stopped going to the grotto, but the people didn't. They went in procession, carrying lighted candles, they said the rosary, and they kissed the ground. From the spring, now directed into a basin by the quarriers, they washed, 
drank, and filled bottles. Belief in the apparitions also showed in the increased numbers at Mass and Confession. During this time, a man by the name of Bouliet regained the sight in his blind eye when he placed a piece of moist earth from the spring on it. And a two-year-old child, Justin Bouhohor, dying from consumption and convulsions, was instantaneously cured when his mother dipped him in the water. And so, twenty days passed, though not without incident. The lady was doing things her way, which were far more significant than making a wild rose bloom. whispered, shaking her mother. Quickly, we must go at once. What, at this hour? Yes, yes, we must go. Wearily, Louise and Francois crawled out of bed, left the cachot, and accompanied their daughter on the long, bleak walk to the other side of town. It was March the 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation, and Massabiel, even at this unearthly hour of 5 a.m., was crowded. Everyone firmly believed the lady would come today. Thus, when Bernadette arrived, excitement filled the air. Bernadette knelt and started to pray. After some time, while still entranced, she stood, took a few steps forward, stopped, stretched her arms in front of her, and then, regaining consciousness, and to the astonishment of her parents and the onlookers, she pushed her way through and ran over the tiny Savimil Bridge, crossing the Garve by the old Roman bridge, along the deserted road by the wood, she sped up the stony path to the village, past the church of Saint-Pierre, and then she was at the priest's house. Rushing past the housekeeper who opened the door, she burst into the room where the abbe was sitting, and without any greeting, panted, I am the Immaculate Conception. What? Where are your manners? Who said you could come in unannounced? Bobbing a curtsy, Bernadette began again. Monsieur le curé... The lady said, I am the Immaculate Conception. The abbe's face drained of color. What on earth are you talking about? The lady, mon père, she told me her name. Then, opening her arms wide, Bernadette placed them across her chest, lifted her eyes towards the ceiling, and breathed, I am the Immaculate Conception. You asked? The abbe was quieter now. Oh, yes. I kept on asking until she told me. I put out my arms toward her and implored, Please, please, madame, what is your name? The lady's smile faded and she became serious. She stretched her arms towards the ground and brought them up and crossed them over her chest and then raised her eyes to the sky and said, I am the Immaculate Conception. Then... She disappeared.
Two weeks after her momentous visit to the presbytery, Bernadette was reunited with her lady. This time, the local doctor witnessed the ecstasy. He reported the incident to Abbe Perimal. That young Subaru girl, she held a lighted candle in her right hand and rosary beads in her left. Her features were really death-like. Then I noticed that the candle had slipped downward and the flame licked her fingers for a full ten minutes. I timed it. The amazing thing is, you know, there's no trance that can resist the agony of fire. I examined her after, and there wasn't a trace of a burn. I thought to myself, I'll try a little experiment, and I took a lighted candle from someone and touched it to her hand. She screamed and said, Why do you want to burn me? Well, if I hadn't seen it for myself, I'd never have believed it. After this day, Bernadette stopped going to the grotto, but life remained troublesome. She was pestered continually by people who asked silly questions and who offered money for blessings, which Bernadette angrily refused. At school, the situation was different, but just as uncomfortable. The girls were embarrassed in her company, and her teacher, Sister Vazou, treated her with contempt. But only one thing mattered to Bernadette, her first communion. She spent every possible moment learning her catechism. On June the 3rd, the feast of Corpus Christi, she achieved her ambition, and after this she was enrolled as a child of Mary. On being asked what gave you most joy, receiving God in communion or talking to the Blessed Virgin, she replied, I don't know. The two things go together and can't be separated. All I know is that I was happy both times. The mayor of Lourdes was having ideas of his own around this time. He planned to capitalize on the newly discovered spring water and turn Lourdes into a spa resort. He was simply furious at the way people were bathing and taking away bottles of water without paying a thing. So, using as an excuse the excitable scenes at the grotto, and that the water might be harmful to people's health, he had Massabiel barricaded and closed to the public. No sooner were the barricades in place... Then the townspeople pulled them down, but just as quickly the gendarmes had them up again, and so it went on. But on July the 16th, the feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, the barricades were well and truly in place. Bernadette, sitting alone in a meadow during the early evening of that day, suddenly felt her heart flutter. It's the lady. She's calling me. Springing to her feet, she ran towards the town. Halfway there she stopped. I don't want to tell anyone. I want to be alone with her. Unfortunately for Bernadette, some ardent followers have been keeping watch on her, and now seeing her haste, quickly spread the news from house to house. Bernadette's going to the grotto. With Bernadette's change of mind came a change of direction, and instead of taking her usual short route, she followed the one used at the time of the first apparition, when, together with Baloum and Toinette, she went to gather firewood, past the old chateau fort, across the tiny savvy mill bridge, and on to the Ribert meadow. Crowds followed in her wake, and as she knelt, she motioned them to stay well away. This they did, excepting her mother, who knelt just a little way behind her daughter. Bernadette looked towards the niche away in the distance, but only the upper part showed above the barricades. Her distressed gaze searched the area and came to rest on the bank of the Gave near where it joins the Savi stream. 
Bernadette rubbed her eyes, just as she had on February the 11th. The silent, reverent gathering, who had formed a semicircle around her, saw the kneeling girl's face turn pale and her skin go taut, while the brown eyes widened and became glazed. The lady, Bernadette told her family later that night, was more dazzling and vivacious than ever before. The golden roses on her feet were brilliant, and her veil and hair flowed freely. Her smile was more loving. I went to say my rosary, but the lady put her fingers to her lips as if to say, Be still, be quiet, you'll have plenty of time for that when I've gone. Night had set in, and still Bernadette stared rapturously at the beauty of her lady. Then, slowly, very slowly, the dazzling brightness faded, so that the girl was hardly aware of it. She raised her hand to wave. Then there was nothing, only the darkness of night. She knelt on a little longer, reassuring herself that her lovely lady had gone. Then, slowly dragging herself to her feet, she staggered towards her mother. Louise took her sorrowful child in her arms, gently covering her with a warm cloak. No words were necessary. She could tell from her daughter's tear-filled eyes that the lady would never return. Abbe Perimal was a formidable character. Strong-looking, thick-set, a man whose expansive girth made him appear above average height. His bald head accentuated a long rectangular face, and what little hair remained was white and stood up in tufts around the side and back of his head. When someone ruffled him, his deep-set eyes were as blazing fire, and he had a voice and temper to match. Usually his movements were slow and ponderous, but today this man in his late forties paced up and down like a caged animal, frequently glancing at the clock. A gentle knock on his study door brought him to a halt. In spite of himself, he felt rage welling up inside him, as sitting down he called, Come in. Then, making an effort, he said to the girl who entered, uh, How are you, my child? Uh, come and sit down. Bernadette had never really recovered from her early encounters with this gruff man, and now she sat stiffly on the edge of the chair. Um, I want to ask you one or two questions. Uh, please answer me as simply and truthfully as you can. Now then, this lady... What did you say her name was? Tell me again. She said, Monsieur le Curé, I am the Immaculate Conception. Oh, come, come, girl. No one could say any words like that. Someone must have put the idea into your head. Tell the truth now. Who was it? No one, Monsieur le Curé. I never heard it before. You mean you made it up? No, no, mon père. The lady said it. Ah, you probably heard it at school. I expect Sister Vazou told you. Bernadette shook her head. Do you know what it means? Bernadette sat quietly trying to think. Then, no, I have no idea. Then I'll tell you. It means this. On December the 8th, four years ago, the Holy Father proclaimed to the whole world the doctrine that the Blessed Virgin Mary, from the very first moment of her conception in her mother's womb, was preserved from the stain of original sin, a privilege and a grace granted by God on account of the merits of Jesus Christ. Is that clear to you? I'm sorry, mon père. I still don't understand. 
Oh, Bernadette, why don't you confess that you lie, and then we can all go back and lead normal, peaceful lives again? How can I say a thing like that when I'm telling the truth? The man felt tortured, but pulling himself together, he stood up and went towards the door. Very well, my child. You may go. With a sigh of resignation, he closed the door after her. This had been his last attempt to get to the truth. He had already questioned Sister Bazu, and she said there was nothing about the Immaculate Conception in the school syllabus. Neither had she taught it, and the curates assured him that they too had never told Bernadette anything about it. If this were a hoax, why didn't she just say that she saw Mary, the Mother of God, or even the Blessed Virgin? But to call the lady by a name that she'd never heard, or even understood? Another thought struck him. If this were the Mother of God, then he was failing to carry out her commands. After all, she had answered his requests, given her name, and then there were plenty of signs. The Buhuhor child miraculously cured, and Dr. Duzot's conversion since the candle episode. He had certainly declared her to be an authentic visionary. The Abbe decided to act. But all his attempts to have the guards removed and the barricades pulled down failed miserably and he realized he would have to see the bishop at nearby Tarb. A few days later, at the bishop's residence, the abbe reported on the chain of events at the grotto. "'Well, we've certainly acted wisely in keeping our noses out of this business,' said the bishop. And "'May I say, my dear Perimal, how much I admire you for keeping clear of it all?' "'Ah, your lordship, my appointment with you today was not just to report what has been happening,' but really to tell you how much my conscience is bothering me. I think it's time the Church did something about it. This is a curious change of attitude, Perimal. I must confess, my lord, that in the beginning I thought the girl was quite mental, then a good actress, but now I have my doubts. Every time I look into those eyes of hers, I'm convinced that she is being used by God. Just who is this Bernadette Subaru? Well, she's a common, low-born girl, my lord. Very plain features, never a trace of colour in her face. But those eyes, having once looked into them, you never forget. I don't know, they, they seem to haunt you. My parishioners are filled with uncertainty. The people and gendarmerie are at each other's throats. Please, my lord, I beg you, call together a commission to investigate all the happenings at Lourdes. Ah, said the bishop, the plans for an Episcopal commission have already been completed, but I hope I'll never have to give the order to go ahead. I, I don't understand. The grotto is barred, isn't it? Well, then, how do you expect a commission to examine the cavern and the spring? Ah, you tell me that. But, but surely you can command the local dignitaries to open it up? Never. I'll not interfere in this matter. The Emperor knows about this disturbance. Let him do something about it. Uh, but surely, my lord, you know the Emperor's feelings. He'll not put himself or the relations between church and state in jeopardy. I've heard it said that his only comment is, these people must manage their own affairs. I quite agree with him. There's nothing I can do. The bishop rang a bell to summon his manservant, indicating that the interview was at an end. And then he delivered his parting words. The commission will assemble when the emperor commands that the barriers be removed and the grotto open to the public, and only then. 
If this lady is the mother of God, then she can quite easily overcome an emperor. If she isn't, then the grotto will stay closed, and that'll be an end to the matter. Napoleon III, Emperor of France, had already acted. He had sent a message to the chief of police at Lourdes telling him to leave Massabiel unguarded, sure that the people would pull down the barricades themselves and thus save the face of the civil authorities. But for some reason, they hadn't done so. Determined to be rid of the matter once and for all, the emperor sent a message by telegraph. It read, Access to the grotto west of Lourdes is to be immediately granted to the public. The barricades were down at last. The Bishop of Tarbes, Monseigneur Laurence, surprised everyone when, in a pastoral letter, he verified that the visions and healings at Lourdes were supernatural, at the same time pointing out that unless money was provided, the lady's wishes would remain unfulfilled. After this, money poured in from all over the world, and in less than two weeks, two million francs had reached the bishop who immediately appointed Abbe Perimau to administer the building of a chapel. The municipal authorities sold him the land and caverns of Massabiel, and building began. The Abbe also became the self-appointed protector of Bernadette. He unearthed many plots to put her in prison, and on one occasion he quashed an attempt to have her committed to a mental asylum. With Bernadette, the whole Subaru family came under his wing. He had them moved from the cashier to more comfortable quarters at a nearby mill, and here Bernadette had a room to herself. Even so, she was still plagued by visitors, and after two years the abbe persuaded the sisters who taught her at the hospice to take her as a boarder. About this time, Sister Vazou was recalled to the mother house at Nevers. Bernadette worked hard, and although study wasn't easy for her, she progressed so much so that when the bishop inquired after her, Abbe Perimal said, My lord, she has grown up into a very fine young lady. All the rough characteristics are gone, and everything about her develops in an outstanding way. Towards the end of her fourth year, she received one of many visits from the abbe. Now he looked with great love and affection at the tranquil girl who sat facing him. Bernadette, are you happy? What do you intend doing with your life? Yes, Monsieur le Curé, I am quite happy. Perhaps I could take a job as a maid in one of the big houses in the town. Oh, Bernadette, do you realize what you're saying? Don't you understand what the result of the commission means? It is judged that Mary, the Immaculate Mother of God, appeared to you eighteen times at the Grotto of Massabiel. Why, at this moment, all the information and papers regarding the investigation are with our Holy Father in Rome. How could you possibly imagine yourself out in the world? Hasn't it occurred to you that your name could go down in history and be remembered after you die? Oh, no, monsieur. Surely this cannot be. My dear, you are happy enough living among the sisters. Wouldn't you like to be one of them and stay with them for good? Oh, no, mon père. I'm not good enough for that. I'm far better suited to working in the kitchen. I'm quite good at peeling vegetables, you know. Um, I want you to give this uh, a lot of thought, Bernadette. But of your own free will, you must choose it. Bernadette did think and pray, and finally decided to join the community of the Sisters of Nevers as a nun. 
Because of her continuing poor health, it was to be two years before she left Lourdes forever. The journey to the mother house at Nevers took several weeks. On arrival, she was greeted by the mother superior, Josephine Imbert, who was accompanied by another nun. Uh, tell me, said Mother Imbert, what is your name? I've forgotten. Bernadette Subaru, Madame la Superieure, she replied. Indicating the other woman, Mother Imbert said, This is Sister Bazou, mistress of the novices. From now on, you'll be in her care. Trying hard to conceal her distaste for the girl, the other nun simply said, We are acquainted with one another. Well, now, what name shall we call you? asked the Mother Superior. Bernadette looked blank. Well, you certainly don't think we'll call you Bernadette, do you? says Sister Bazou acidly. Wait now, Mother Imbert interrupted. What's the name of your godmother? It's Aunt Bernard, madame. Oh, good, that settles it. You shall be known as Sister Marie Bernard. And so Bernadette Subaru started her life as a postulant and was swallowed up in the community life of the convent of Saint-Gildas, Nevers. Bernadette suffered all her life. A cholera epidemic and the famine which followed in its wake when she was but a toddler left her permanently weak, and so she remained for the rest of her thirty-five years. Frequent bouts of asthma were further aggravated by the deplorable conditions of the cacho, and Bernadette spent much time in her bed. At the convent in Nevers, it was no different. There was no relief from the arduous day's work required by the strict discipline and the effects of the early years of malnutrition gradually took their toll. Her wasted body developed tuberculosis, and the slow decaying of her bones resulted in excruciating pain, and she became easily exhausted after only the lightest of tasks. The lady had said, I do not promise to make you happy in this world, but in the next. Her bed in the infirmary of Saint-Gildas convent was never long without his occupant, and this caused her superior to say half-jokingly one day, "'What are you doing in bed, you lazy little thing?' "'Why, dear mother, I am doing my work. "'And what is your work, may I ask?' "'It is to be ill.' These words can be a great comfort to the thousands of sick and handicapped who annually visit Lourdes. Theirs is a sublime vocation often discovered at the shrine itself, so many find new hope in the realization that, like Bernadette, they do have a use in life. Our Lady has something to say to everyone who visits her shrine, but so few give her the chance. Quiet moments are rare, and it is all too easy to become swept up in a round of crowded activities and excursions. Yet, time can be found. After the torchlight procession, vast crowds go to the grotto and say good night to Our Lady and then return to their hotels. At the grotto, all is still and tranquil. The pyramid of candles flickers and splutters, and the fast-flowing garve lowers its voice. Trees rustle, and the night air brushes the face in a cool embrace. 
Here in the candle glow are seen the example of young and old alike. Some kneel with outstretched arms, while others stand mesmerized, gazing at the niche. Others sit side by side on the seats under the rock of Massabiel for an all-night vigil. It is at times like this when, without distraction, one can more easily feel the presence of the Immaculate Mother of God. It is easier to realize how selfish we are, or how full of pride, greed, and so many other emotions which rule our lives. Then Our Lady's words really begin to make their full impression. Penance, penance, penance. Pray for poor sinners. This was the only message Bernadette directed to the crowds who were there during the apparitions. It is the message of Lourdes. There is no other. It was as the result of her actions during the ninth apparition that Bernadette was taken by many to be a charlatan. What else were the hundreds of onlookers to think? They saw her on her knees kissing the rough pebbly ground, scratching away at the earth, eating grass, and smearing her face with muddy water. With the flowing of the spring, however, the importance of penance was grasped by many, and the people began imitating Bernadette's actions. And so, on the rough pebbly stage of a disused cavern, the penitential phase began in Lourdes, a phase which continues to the present day. Pilgrims kneel and pray in front of the niche and quite unashamedly kiss the ground before large audiences. They also clamber round the side of a mountain, following the stations of the cross, a timely reminder of the sufferings Mary's son endured to save us. But the penance most dreaded in Lourdes is the baths. During the pilgrimage season, hundreds go into the baths daily, accepting that it is necessary to queue for hours, strip almost naked in front of strangers, and then to be dipped into breathtakingly cold water that has already been used by numerous others before them. Adding to the discomfort, clothing has to be dragged back on to dripping wet bodies. One person said, It really is true humiliation when you know that so many people have been in there before you with all manner of different diseases. You just put your trust completely in God that you won't catch anything. It's a real penance. Praiseworthy though these voluntary penances are, they should not distract us from the essential practice of penance found in our daily lives. It is an obvious fact that none of us need go looking for penance. Troubles, pain, heartache, injustice, they're all part of our common lot. And each day brings its share of distasteful and irksome tasks. But they need not be wasted. And it is in this respect that Bernadette's example matters most. Never once did she rebel or complain against God. Never did she try to justify herself. She accepted everything, always seeing in each situation God's will for her. In the convent at Nevers, she was heard to say, I would rather lie sick on my bed than be a queen seated on a throne. And on another occasion, If by lying ill in bed for a day I can save a sinner, then I would willingly spend the rest of my life there. People, when in Lourdes, carry out Our Lady's command to do penance. The same goes for prayer, too. No matter where one goes, be it in the domain or while walking through the town, people of all ages carry or even wear rosary beads. In each of the eighteen apparitions, Our Lady appeared with rosary beads over her arm, and Bernadette said her rosary. 
That the rosary was recited is not perhaps so significant as the fact that Bernadette was being encouraged to pray. This help to pray is so necessary in our hectic lives. Very few of us pray regularly. For most it is no easy task. One pilgrim to Lourdes summed up quite candidly what we all feel at some time or other. To pray is the hardest thing in the world, and the most tiring. It's very difficult, isn't it? There are times when I feel there is a starvation. My mind won't function at all. Well, we're in good company, for it is common knowledge that after many years as a nun, Bernadette never became proficient at meditation. But the prayer to which she remained faithful, and which aided her along the road to sanctity, was none other than the one taught her by Our Lady, the simple rosary, said with recollection and love. Once Mary had delivered her message for the world, and given examples of how it was to be carried out, her work was done, and she revealed her name. In the remaining visions, she and Bernadette simply took pleasure in being together. Possibly during these last encounters, this backward girl was being prepared by the Mother of God for the first meeting with her son in the Eucharist. And this Bernadette did when she made her first communion. On handing over her young servant to her son Jesus, Mary faded into the background, just as she does during the Blessed Sacrament procession. There can be no mistaking the excitement this event generates in the domain each afternoon. The loud pealing of bells from the Basilica Tower indicates that our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament is on His way from the grotto. Mary steps discreetly aside. The thousands who have accepted her invitation to come to Lourdes, she now hands over to her son, just as she did Bernadette. As the procession starts, so do the hosannas and the songs of praise. But among the throngs of voices others can be heard. Lord, that I may hear. Lord, that I may see. Lord, we believe. Increase our faith. Only say the word and I shall be healed. The applause eases to a hush when the procession reaches Rosary Square. Who can tell what will happen? At the blessing of the sick, people have been known to get up from their beds and walk. Some accept their cross. For others, there is a greater commitment, a conversion of heart. But there are those who will look on and remain unmoved. Some will walk away disillusioned. For those who are helped, however, Lourdes fulfills a unique role. There is a statue placed halfway up the zigzag path near the grotto. It is of a blind man who, kneeling, rests his chin on a vertical beam of a rough wooden cross. The inscription tells that the statue was donated by a blind Italian lady. These are her words. I came here to regain my sight, but I regain something much more important, my faith. There is no mistaking the great love pilgrims have for Our Lady, which is expressed when they walk in the evening torchlight procession and join their voices to the thousands of others singing the Lourdes Ave Maria. When passing her crown statue, they know that although a queen, she is not unapproachable. She's not really standing on a pedestal to be admired from afar. 
she is also our mother. Bernadette was always at home in her presence and remarked on the gracious smile and warmth of her lady. When she spoke of the apparition which took place on the Feast of the Annunciation, Bernadette referred to her in these words. She was smiling and looking at the crowd like a loving mother watching her children. And this is how we come to see Mary. Her vocation was in saying yes to becoming the mother of God. And her vocation is still to be a mother, ours. A mother's joy is to bring up children to be like her, perhaps even exceed her. This is what she wants of us all. Her greatness was in letting God take over. For the Almighty has done great things to me. It is in this way that she wants us to imitate her.